0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Before we begin some housekeeping and news, first I want to thank my newest patron on Patreon, Robin. Thanks so much for your support. If you enjoy or admire my show, the way to ensure that I'll be able to keep doing it is to pledge any amount of support on Patreon. And in exchange, you'll get some bonuses like ad-free episodes, teasers, and early episode release. And hopefully, if more support enables me to teach less, I'll start putting out bonus blind spot episodes on there. As it is now, though, with my teaching schedule as hectic and grading essays as time-consuming as it has become, I have to take a hiatus again. Like last year, after this final Halloween-themed blind spot, I won't be putting any new episodes in the feed for a month or two. I might drop in a bonus interview I'm setting up or a talk I'm giving at an upcoming conference, but no new fully researched and produced episode probably until Christmas. And therefore, I'll be pausing the Patreon campaign until my return. I encourage new patrons to pledge, though, nonetheless. And one more piece of news. I'll be traveling to Cambridge, Massachusetts for the Sound Education Podcasting Conference at Harvard on November 2nd and 3rd, and I'll be giving a talk on Saturday the 3rd. I hope to record it and throw it up on my feed, but if any listeners are able to get tickets and get to Harvard, I'd love to meet some of you. My talk is about the value of exploring dubious stories for the purpose of encouraging critical thinking. If you check out the list of speakers and panels on their website, I'm sure you'll want to attend. Dan Carlin is delivering the keynote. I hope to see you there.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The world is filled with many questions, such as Do giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna. and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: On to the show. Welcome to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past podcast. I'm Nathaniel Lloyd and I'll be your tracker as we follow the trail of something mysterious that crept up near your door last night. In this final October episode, I'll look at a puzzling event that when considered in context, seems a complementary tale to our last Halloween episode. In my last, I discussed the haunting specter of Springheeled Jack, a figure described as having devilish qualities. Beyond his preternatural abilities to leap over walls and onto rooftops, he was said to have glowing eyes, fiery breath, and sharp facial features like the devil himself. One diabolical feature I failed to remark upon, since it only appeared in one report, had to do with the creature's feet. For the most part, Jack was described as wearing boots, Boots, it was assumed, that contained some spring-loaded mechanism in the heels to propel him in his leaping. But there is a report that, in 1826, a masked and cloaked figure attacked a young man by clasping the boy to his body and somehow setting him afire. And this attacker was reported by the badly burned victim to have had cloven hoofs instead of feet. And, like the devil is wont to do, Spring-Heeled Jack disappeared from the public eye for around three decades, the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. Interestingly though, smack in the middle of these quiet years, when the diabolical figure of Spring-Heeled Jack was absent from the scene, an incident in the county of Devon, some 254 kilometers or 158 miles southwest of London, had people believing the devil still trod the earth. On the morning of February 9, 1855, people all over the county woke to discover tracks in their garden paths and streets, and many believed these were not ordinary animal tracks. The incident has been called the Great Devon Mystery, and the tracks have been described as the devil's hoof marks. For many concluded that Satan himself had visited their neighborhood in the cold darkness of the previous night. Thank you for listening to this Blind Spot, Tracking the Devil in Devon. That winter of 1855 was unusually cold, freezing over the rivers of Devon County, the teen and the ex, and falling a full degree lower than anyone remembered it ever falling before. On the evening of February 8th, a heavy snowfall blanketed the region and covered it also in a deep, peaceful silence. Only one report exists of a resident's dog kicking up a row that night which is especially curious considering the indications of widespread disturbance and activity that were discovered the next morning. After dawn brought some rain and a subsequent frost. Within a few days, reports began to circulate about what the residents of Devon villages found that morning. Strange tracks that these hardy country folk, who were not unaccustomed to the sight of animal sign, found unnatural and even upsetting. They appeared not only in open areas where an animal might be expected to venture, but also within the walls of locked gardens, and some of the trails seemed to walk purposefully up to their doors and disappear or reappear on rooftops, as though the creature that had left them had walked easily up the walls and many agreed that these tracks looked like those that might be left by a pony or donkey, a hoof, sometimes cloven and sometimes not, but hooved, certainly. But of course, a donkey could not get inside their garden walls or onto their rooftops. Moreover, the tracks seemed too straight and purposeful and appeared to have been made by a bipedal creature. And what cloven-hoofed creature walks about on two legs, like a man? The devil, of course, and almost immediately, this seems to be the conclusion many reached. It only took a few hours before hunting parties formed in multiple villages, setting out to track down this mysterious night visitor. These tracking parties discovered some remarkable oddities including tracks that disappeared and then reappeared in the middle of a snowy field, and others that went directly up to a haystack and continued on unimpeded on the other side, with no sign of having disturbed the hay itself, as if whatever left them had merely walked right through it. And one story has a party following the tracks into a wood where their hunting dogs came whimpering back with their tails between their legs So terrified were they of whatever they had cornered. This last story would be easy to dismiss as folklore were it not for its corroboration by a reverend at Mary Church. Indeed, much of the original source support that is available comes from churchmen and would seem, perhaps, the more reliable for it. A Reverend Ellicombe of Kleist St. George collected numerous documents on the incident, including letters from a Reverend Musgrave of Withycombe, Raleigh, and some tracings of the tracks likely made on the scene. These, along with some letters from locals published in the Illustrated London News, serve as the extent of the primary source documentation of the event, which, once again, researcher Mike Dash has delved into extensively in his investigation of this phenomenon, which once more I have relied on as my principal source, since his is the definitive work on the topic. As Dash points out, much of the primary source material is contradictory, and the evidence it presents is meager, but this has not limited the development of many theories to explain the tracks. One, as might be expected from paranormal researchers, is that the marks were not tracks at all, but rather the result of laser beams fired from flying saucers engaged in some kind of land surveying. Another rather interesting theory developed in later years is that the marks were made by some as yet unidentified weather phenomenon, an idea first floated by J. Allen Rennie, a Scotsman who claimed to have seen in the wilds of Canada in 1924 similar tracks being formed before his eyes by no visible being or creature, just tracks being laid into the snow by a phantom and being blamed on a wendigo by his Native American companion. However, according to Rennie, as they drew right up to him, A splash of water hit his face and the marks continued on behind him, suggesting some strange meteorological event whereby large raindrops may fall only in one line and successively like a trail. A more down-to-earth explanation, though still up in the clouds, puts forth the idea that the tracks were laid by a balloonist, out for a lunatic midnight flight on the frigid and windy night of February 8th, and that a loose rope, perhaps with a horseshoe or other grappling device at its end, had been left to drag along beneath. While all of these explanations account for the appearance of tracks that disappear and then reappear elsewhere, as well as for tracks on rooftops and in walled gardens, There are other contemporary reports that weaken them. For example, despite the legend that evolved saying that the tracks were one single trail in a straight line that went purposefully all over Devon, there are many reports of meandering and crisscrossing trails that would not seem to fit these theories or the idea that one evil adversary left the hoof marks. One hunting party out of Dawlish did track one trail as far as 5 miles, which is a long distance for one creature on a snowy night, but no parties tracked any trails long enough to confirm that they were all one trail. Moreover, these parties reported the tracks passing beneath low tree branches and through small holes in hedges and 6-inch drainage pipes which would eliminate not only UFO lasers, strange rain, and balloon ropes, but also any suspected creatures that were large, such as donkeys, ponies, and, of course, the odd escaped monkey or kangaroo that are sometimes suggested. It would also eliminate the devil himself, unless Satan is very small indeed, with strides only ranging from eight to to 16 inches. This leaves smaller creatures, and of them there was no shortage of suspects. At different times, badgers, otters, rabbits, birds, and rodents have been named as possible culprits of the tracks. The descriptions of the tracks themselves have been so varied, ranging not only from cloven to not cloven, but also to having toe marks or claw marks or the impression of pads. And so many explanations have been offered for why an animal without hoofs might leave prints that resemble hoof marks. Rabbits and rats, for example, hop and landing with four feet together can create a hoof-like impression, and birds, like gulls, driven inland by the cold, might have ice on their feet that could take the shape of a hoof, such that it becomes difficult to rule out many of the suspects. Add to this the fact that it had rained at dawn, likely melting whatever tracks had been laid, and then distorting them when they refroze. A similar explanation has been put forward to explain how bear tracks might be mistaken for yeti prints. And in the case of the Great Devon Mystery, it means an argument can be made for nearly any creature being the culprit. One reverend of Dawlish reported that a farmer had found what appeared to be hoof marks, but upon closer examination, seeing claw marks in them, realized they were just his own cat's tracks, thawed and misshapen by the frost. This tends to make one doubt most of the reports. Could it have just been a brief panic or hysteria, causing many in Devon to mistake common animal tracks for something supernatural and sinister? If so, why did these savvy country folk suddenly act like they'd never encountered such trails? And why did such panics not recur every time similar trails were seen? They surely must have been, for snowy nights were not uncommon, nor were rodents and birds. And what of contemporary reports that the tracks of cats and other animals could clearly be made out that morning, indicating that the distortion of a thaw and a refreeze was not the explanation? Or the reports that these hoof marks were not indistinct, but rather extraordinarily clear and sharp, as one witness put it, quote, as if cut by a diamond or branded with a hot iron, end quote. This, of course, leads us to an alternate explanation, that of a hoax perpetrated by men. As we take a brief break from the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that supporters of my Patreon get exclusive access to an ad-free stream of the show. So if you want to get on with each episode without interruption, head on over and pledge a monthly donation of as little as $1 to get the ad-free RSS feed, which can be pasted into most podcast apps. All patrons also get teasers in their feeds during off weeks and patrons at higher levels get early access to all episodes, among other perks. I'd love to be able to offer the show with no ads, but in order to build a future for the show, that means freeing up my time to concentrate more on the podcast, which means seeking patronage and advertising. I appreciate all of you listening and supporting the show by rating, reviewing, spreading the word, and pledging your support. Do
0: you find yourself captivated by the inexplicable, entranced by enigmas, and tantalized by the unknown? We are Shane and Josh Waters, brothers who will weave you through tales that have mystified us for years, from haunted hotels to inexplicable disappearances. Our episodes offer you a panoramic view of the world's greatest mysteries, leaving no stone unturned, no clue, unnoticed. With a gripping narrative, we invite you to join us on a journey into realms of the unexplained. We're unraveling the mysteries that have perplexed humanity for ages. So, armchair detectives, curious minds, and seekers of the strange, it's time to put on your headphones and dim the lights. Dive into the uncanny world of the Mystery Inc. Podcast and prepare for a journey into the unknown that you'll never forget. And remember, some mysteries are better left unsolved, but not unexplored.
1: But who would go to the great trouble of committing this hoax, and why? In the 1970s, one Monfrey Wood revealed in his account of growing up as a Romany Gypsy that the hoax had been perpetrated by seven tribes of Romany for the purposes of claiming their territory by scaring away other tribes, such as Pykes, who held deep-seated fears of the devil. They had planned it for a year and a half, he explained, and it had been accomplished using stilts made from stepladders. However, Wood's version of the hoax suggested the prints would have been far larger than they were actually reported to be, and that the tracks would have been laid at intervals of about 9 feet rather than every 8 inches. Add to this the idea that seven tribes of Gypsy could possibly descend upon so many Devon towns in one night, tramping on stilts through gardens and atop roofs without ever being spotted and only ever disturbing one dog, and you have a legend second only to Santa Claus's massive Christmas Eve undertaking in its lack of feasibility. There is, however, a second possibility. As many of the reports of tracks were said to cross churchyards, it has been suggested that the signs of the devil were set down as a kind of protest, a display of dissent against recent happenings in the Anglican church. For the last few decades, the so-called high church clergy had inflamed the ire of so-called low church parishioners, who held some disdain for ritual and other trappings commonly associated with Roman Catholicism. The Oxford Movement, or Tractarianism, as it had commenced with the publication of a series of tracts, had been moving the Church toward an Anglo-Catholic revival to the indignation of many. This theory posits that protesters, disliking this move away from simple Protestantism, had visited churches on the night of February 8th to make the point that the devil had returned, come home to roost in the Anglican church. The fact is, this would not have been the first time even that year that hoof marks were laid around places thought to be corrupt as a statement. A month earlier and 150 miles or 240 kilometers northeast of Devon, several pubs around Wolverhampton had hoof marks on their walls and roofs, and these seem to have been left by teetotalers hoping to indicate that alcohol was the devil's drink. So this appears to be a well-established ideological stunt designed to imply the presence of evil at a place. The problem in the case of the Great Devon Mystery, however, is that the hoofmarks were not only found on church grounds, but all over, in private gardens and atop the roofs of homes owned by simple citizens. And what would have been the point of laying the tracks all the way out of town, as far as five miles out into the wilderness? And these tracks appeared in towns all over the county in one night, not only is it unlikely that the vast conspiracy required to perpetrate such a stunt could have long stayed hidden, but it would also have been quite the ill-conceived failure, since by failing to place the hoof marks only on churches, its hypothetical message had been very poorly conveyed. But if, in this instance, the notion that mere men could have been behind the phenomenon seems rather more a stretch than a reasonable explanation, we might still find a sensible solution as we have before by suggesting that it may have been a combination of several proposed explanations. Could not some tracks, when out in the open, have been made by donkeys and ponies, while others were made by birds with icy feet alighting on roofs and in fields, and still others by rats who had climbed into walled gardens? But then one encounters another problem, that of the seemingly honest and earnest residents of Devon County themselves. Why would so many sensible people who were quite familiar with their home and the common wildlife thereabout suddenly take to the snowy morning searching out mundane animal tracks and ascribing supernatural significance to them? Did it just take one person to suggest that the marks in the snow were unusual and represented something uncanny to set off the hysteria? And if so, What are the chances that one such person made the suggestion in more than 30 places across Devon County? If doubting the strangeness of the tracks requires us to make this leap in logic, would it actually be more reasonable to believe these simple country folk, these farmers and reverends that something strange stalked all over their county that winter's night As Mike Dash asserts, with so little evidence and so many puzzling aspects, this mystery may forever remain a blind spot in the past. Thank you for listening to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past Podcast. Big thanks to Mike Dash for all the wonderful research he has done on this and the Springheeled Jack mystery. I've been corresponding with him and hope to record an interview with him soon, the show's first interview. Much of the music heard on this episode was provided by composer Alex Kish. Visit Alex Kish Music to get compositions for your own projects. As always, heartfelt thanks go out to my generous partner patrons on Patreon, Joe, Marina, Michael, Robert, Diane, Austin, Chris, and David. Thanks for following me on this journey into the benighted woods of history. Remember, I'll be at the Sound Education Podcast Convention at Harvard on November 3rd. Come see me. And remember that this is the last episode for maybe a month and a half or so. I'll be back in mid to late December with a Christmas special, hopefully. And after patron pledges for October have gone through on the 1st, I'll be pausing the Patreon campaign. But I promise I will be back. Until then, remember, when you find one lonesome trail of hoof marks in the snow, that was when the devil carried you.